Welcome to the St. Matt's 6 p.m. podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Today we begin a series on Colossians called Continuing Christ, and Ian is speaking on the topic of the saving power of the gospel from Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 to 14. Hi everyone, my name's Mark and I'm going to be reading the Bible, reading from Colossians chapter 1, from verse 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who has told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So I asked my uh, scripture classes for some adjectives about God and uh, I asked them, do you know what an adjective is? And I was so impressed. They did. They all chorus to me, like you did, uh, a describing word. But there were even some kids who in there who said, a word that describes a noun. How good is that? I reckon in year five I certainly did not know uh, what an adjective or, or a noun was. But, but these days I do, uh, do have times when I, when I do uh, go looking for adjectives. Uh, you may know I enjoy writing the odd limerick. Limericks require adjectives. And I've got to say that there are some people are very rich sources of adjectives and do lend themselves very well to, uh, to a limerick. And I'm here to tell you tonight that one of those people is their very own Chris Donald. Now I'd like to welcome Chris up the front, give him a round of applause. Hasn't been up here much tonight, I've been doing his announcements and all sorts of stuff. I'm pretty sure he's still here, look he's on the way. Now uh, uh, Chris, is, you probably know, is our young adults minister, he's the pastor of this 6pm congregation. He's our temporary youth minister as well. And what are some adjectives or adjectival phrases that describe Chris? 
I had a go. He's a strapping young bloke, wouldn't you say? He's, uh, he's strong. He's, uh, would, you, would you agree he's passionate? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Highly intelligent. But I've got to say that in the winter, <laughs> the poor fella gets a bit chilly in the office. And uh, he, he brings along his jumpers and his, uh, his jackets and he also brings along what I love to call the nana blanket. And he paints a great picture up there. Chris, we'll just put this around your knees if we could. <laughs> he said, that, oh, sorry, he said it goes this way. Yeah. So there he is. So you can imagine Chris sitting up there in the office and he's got his headphones on, keeping his head warm and he's scratched over his computer and he's emailing you or, you know, email all these people, do you? Your Facebook message of them. And, uh, and he's got his blanket over his knees. And I just thought, there, there is limerick fodder, if ever. <laughs> I saw one. And so I wrote one for him. Here we go. Young Chris, because he's young, young Chris is strong, zealous and bold. Though quite sensitive to the cold, said he, a rug please, to cover my knees. Now he's warm, but he kind of looks old. There we go. <laughs> so let's give him a round of applause now. Now Chris... For being such a good sport tonight, I bought your favourite caramello koalas. So I'll leave you with your rug, I'll keep my bag, and you can have the blanket and the, the caramello koalas and, uh, and find a warm corner to, to sit in. Well done, thank you Chris. Now, um, one adjective I didn't mention that's true of Chris and might be true of you tonight as you're, you're sitting here, one adjective that you may use to describe yourself is the word Christian. If you were to describe yourself to somebody else, would you use that term of yourself? Maybe you used it tonight. Is that anybody's adjective that they use to share with the person next to them tonight? No, nobody in the morning service did that either. So maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. If you did, what would you mean by that? What would you mean by referring to yourself as a Christian? Now today we start a new series in the book of Colossians and being Christian, along with all the, the richness and depth and breadth of what that means is really what this book is all about. And it was written to encourage Christians uh, to understand who they really are because of what God has done for them and then to continue on in Christ by living that out in their daily lives. We've got a great set design here as you can see tonight. We've got the hills and the road going off in the distance and uh, continuing in Christ is the, is the goal there that's been put together for us, a fantastic uh, set. And that is what this, uh, this letter is all about. And there's a great story behind the, uh, the letter and it begins with the time that the Apostle Paul visited the city of Ephesus and I think there's a, a map that shows where Ephesus is there, circled in red, and uh, where Turkey is today. And the Apostle Paul stayed there for over two years, preaching and teaching about the Lord Jesus and people from all around the region came there to hear what he had to say. And it's very likely that one of the people who came was a guy named Epaphras, and he came to Ephesus and heard Paul's teaching and took it to heart. He took the message uh, with him to Colossae, which is on the, the next map, it's circled there, up uh, what is the Lycus Valley there, and there, there it is uh, over to the right of the screen. And he took the message there and a church was formed there. People heard the message about Jesus, the gospel, and they believed it. They took it to heart as well. A church was formed and began to grow. 
and it had a really big impact, uh, the teaching about Jesus, in people's lives there and they changed. They changed noticeably. And then after some time, uh, they started to get a bit off track. After starting with Jesus, they began to doubt if they were really having kind of the full religious experience uh, and to wonder if there are other voices they should be listening to if there are other special religious activities and practices that they should be doing in order to have the full kind of spiritual experience. And so Epaphras then uh, went to visit the Apostle Paul, who was in prison uh, at this time, probably in Rome, just to share what had been happening in the church in Colossae. And Paul began to pray for these people, if he hadn't been already, and he wrote this letter to encourage them. And what the letter says in a nutshell, it says, As Christian people, let me remind you of what has happened in your life. Let me remind you of when you heard the gospel message, the good news about Jesus. And here are the wonderful things that you learned that God has done for you in Jesus. And the astounding spiritual change that he's brought about in your life. Let me explain to you more about what the Lord Jesus is really like Uh, in all his uh, richness and glory and about who he's made you to be. And then understanding those things, the second part of the letter, understanding all those things in in their richness and their depth, the way forward is now to continue to live your lives in Christ. Don't look elsewhere because in Jesus you have everything that God has to give. You have all spiritual fullness in the, in the Lord Jesus. And the way forward now is to understand and appreciate what you have and to practice living it out in your daily life. And that's what this is all about. And the whole letter turns on two key verses in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. I think they're up on the screen there. So then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. And before that, it's all about what it means to receive Christ as Lord. And then after those verses, it's all about, more or less, what it means to continue in Christ living that out. And that's really what the the book looks like. Now, uh, we have, uh, Ruth and I, my wife and I, have three children. And the middle one, Emma, is currently doing the HSC. And uh, many of you know what that's like. And she's been learning to improve her essay writing. And uh, and I've got to say, I'm a great uh, source of wisdom when it comes to writing essays. I've got lots of advice to pass on to her as it was passed on to me. And so when she comes, I say to her, Emma, look, with an essay, you really got to understand there's just three things. There's an intro and a body and a conclusion, right? Fair enough. And the intro, in the intro is where you tell them what you're going to tell them. And then the body is where you tell them. And the conclusion is where you tell them what you told them. I said, it's a snap. It's easy. And uh, she wasn't really that, all that impressed. Uh, but I think the Apostle Paul would have been a great essay writer. And the opening section, this part we've read tonight, really sets up the themes of the letter really beautifully and in a really useful way because uh, Paul sets out the kinds of things that he's going to tell them, but he does it by talking about his prayers for them. And on the next uh, slide you can see Uh, He follows the format of the book in his prayers. Firstly, he's thankful for their faith in Jesus and all they have in Christ and all that means. And then he's prayerful about their future and them going on and continuing in Christ and how they can live out who God has made them to be. 
And so uh, what we're going to do uh, this evening is look briefly at those two sections of this, uh, this part that we've read out and think about how it applies to us today. And so if you look at verse 3, Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We always thank God when we pray for you. Now why does he do this? Well, first of all, uh, in verse 4, because uh, Epaphras has come to Paul and reported about their faith um, in, uh, in Christ Jesus. He's coming to them, he said, look, these people really trust the Lord Jesus. They really trust in the Lord Jesus. What, what do you think might lead someone to say that about them? What evidence would Epaphras have to say, hey, this is why I'm telling you this, Paul, that they really trust Jesus. It might have been uh, the way they've received Christ Jesus as Lord and they're following his teaching. Maybe it was the way they were continuing to meet with God's people. Uh, maybe he, he'd been um, able to hear what they'd been asking God for. Um, we're, not, we're not really told about a lot, but we, we could imagine those things. But one thing we do know about is in the next part of verse 4 uh, that, uh, that they have a great love for all God's people. And that's something that Epaphras has seen. I mean, if you look around the, the room here, uh, you can see that the gospel can bring together a diverse community of people um, from different backgrounds, different ages, different, uh, different uh, families from uh, different ages and stages of life, different, uh, different likes and dislikes. But the gospel is also capable of creating in that community the kind of love that's able to overlook the differences and that's what uh, Paul is describing here about the Colossians. There is a love for all God's people that he reports. And so there's faith in Christ Jesus and love for all God's people and this faith and this love has grown out of a particular hope that they have. Now we've all heard people say things like, um, oh, you've just got to, you just can't give up your hope and you've got to stay hopeful. Uh, you've got to stay positive in that sense. But, but this is not that they are hopeful people in, in any given way, is a particular hope that they have. Uh, it's a hope, a confidence and a looking forward to what God has stored up for them in heaven. That's what they are hopeful about. Now, uh, someone said a few very wise and simple words to me recently, a great, uh, a great reminder. They weren't intending to teach me anything. They just said this from, from their own uh, experience, but it's, uh, it was incredibly simple and, and profound. And they just said, you know, this life is not all there is. This life is not all there is. There's more to come. There's something greater to come. There's something that's coming that the Lord has in store for his people that will dwarf this life. They'll be so good that it will far outweigh any and every challenge that we've ever had in this life. And for the Colossian Christians, this future hope that they have is so much a part of their, their thinking and their outlook that it's changed the way they live. It's brought about in them a trust in Jesus and a love for all God's people. This hope is so concrete and so real for them that it's changed the way that they live. And so let me ask you a question. What do you think this hope is all about? What kind of hope would be so powerful and transforming and lead them to, to grow in their trust in Jesus and to grow in their love for all God's people. What kind of hope would be like that? Well, Paul says 
this is the thing that they've heard about in the gospel. This is what the gospel has taught them. And he mentions the gospel in verses 5, 6 and 7, but that's more about the gospel's impact around the world and how it came to them and how it impacted them when Epaphras came and told them about it. Uh, But it's later on in verses 12 to 14 where he actually explains what this amazing message is. What, What could this mysterious gospel be that is so powerful and alive and international and, uh, and changing lives everywhere. And so let me read those verses to you again in verses 12 to 14. They'll be up on the, the screen there. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So being Christian involves coming to understand that by nature all people are alienated from God. The way we live is something we determine ourselves according to our own desires. Uh, We're heavily influenced by the values and the forces of the, the culture around us. And we give little you know, or no real regard to God and, uh, and his uh, leading and loving direction. Uh, we give no real uh, attention to the one who made us and uh, who loves us and to whom we belong. And this is what Paul refers to here as the dominion or the rule of darkness. And the pattern of living that's like this is something that God takes personally because it's an affront to him as the maker and the Lord of everything. And it's also something that he takes seriously because in our ignorance towards him, what we do is we inflict hurt on other people and damage on his creation. We live with injustice. Uh, we do things that are, that are damaging to uh, his creation and even to ourselves. But the good news and the message of the gospel is that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, his son, uh, God forgives our wrongdoing. He rescues us and sets us free from the uh, domain of personal desires and slavery to to culture and the mindset of the world around us and he puts us in the kingdom of his son. And even though we still remain relatively unable really to fully align ourselves with God's rule, uh, the work of Jesus on our behalf means that we are nevertheless qualified to be counted as his people. Now, as I read this, my mind zeroes in to the word qualified. Now, I don't know what your experience of uh, exams is. For some people, you know, they walk into exams, they're really stressed because they're not sure if they're going to get 95 or 92 in this one. And I walk into, when I walk into exams, I'm really stressed because I'm not sure if I'm going to get 49 or 51. And, uh, and so this, this word here, qualified, means a lot uh, to me because what it says to me is that uh, that it doesn't depend, my, my, uh, my status with God doesn't depend on how well I perform. But the Lord Jesus, in the Lord Jesus, God has qualified me to participate and belong to his people. And there's a wonderful security in that, that, uh, that is so reassuring and, uh, and means that the hope I have for the future is secure 
because he's qualified me to have it. And that's so, so, so great and so reassuring. And, and we can see uh, when we understand that why from that hope springs trust in Jesus. Because the more we think about that and hang on to that hope, the more we realise, hey, this all comes to me because of the Lord Jesus and what he's done for me. And so my trust in him grows. And we can see why that hope would lead to a love for all of God's people because you know, a church is a community of people who have all known the love of God for them in their own lives and so that leads them to love others in the same way. The Christians realise that they don't have what they have by any merit of their own but just through God's forgiveness and grace and so they're able to bring that same forgiveness and that same grace into their relationship with other members of God's people. And so that's what Paul's heard about them. This hope uh, that sprung, uh, that's brought about uh, trust in Jesus and love for all the saints. And folks, this is what it means to be Christian. To hear the gospel and to understand God's grace and to be forgiven and rescued and picked up out of the dominion of darkness and placed into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the sun, uh, the kingdom of the one that God loves and to have that sure hope that leads to an ever-growing trust in Jesus and uh, an ever-growing uh, and, and warming love for others who are also part of this same community. Now I love the way that, uh, that Paul points to the Colossians to the particular concrete thing that happened when they learned this. Remember that time Epaphras came to you and you heard the gospel. And I would say, uh, I remember that time when I met those uh, guys who were a couple of years older than me at school and they told me the gospel. I wonder if you could point to a particular time when you first came to hear the gospel. For some people it wasn't like that. For some, some people that have grown up with it in their family, they've always known about what God has done for them in Jesus and then for others of us, uh, it, we, we've heard about it at some time in our life, at, at some time and place, through some person, and we've looked into it and found it to be true. Have you heard and understood the message of God's grace? Is it something that you would like to look into further? Uh, if you would, um, I know that Chris would love to speak to you. Um, you could speak to Nicole, who's at our service, you could come and speak to me and we'd love to help you look, to look further into it. But if you have, then the idea that, uh, that we're looking at here is, is to be affirmed in that. To say, yeah, that happened for me. I did hear the gospel and I did uh, understand God's grace and I did accept it. And to appreciate that when that happened, all this that God has done uh, was applied to you. And you were rescued and placed in his kingdom uh, as one of his people with a sure and certain hope for the future. I love the start of this letter, which says, God, to God's holy people, you know, faithful brothers and sisters. Let me say, if you, if you came in here tonight and uh, you found a letter on the floor and you opened it up to see who it was directed to and it said, it said to God's holy people, uh, faithful brothers and sisters, would you assume that was meant for you? You think, oh yeah, that's me. That must be for me. If I came in here and saw, saw a letter that said to, to 50-year-old, dim-witted, you know, overweight, half-baked Christian, I'd think, oh yeah, that's probably for me. That one's for me. I'll, I'll read that. Uh, but, but that's not how the Lord sees us. 
The church in Colossae would have had the whole range of ages and stages of faith, right? This is a church letter. And yet this is how Paul addresses them, to God's holy people in Colossae, faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's true of them and it's true of you and me if we've put our faith in Christ because that's who God has made us to be in his sight. And I love the little parallel uh, statements there to, to God's holy people in Colossae, to where else are they? The faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. They're in Colossae, that's one place they are. They're in Christ, that's another place they are. Folks, we're in West Pennant Hills, uh, but if you've put your trust in Christ, then you are also in Christ. As you saw, as you sit here in your West Pennant Hills, you're also in Christ. This is who we are and what God has made us to be. And so now what does it mean then to continue in Christ? And this is what Paul's prayer tells us about. This is a much shorter section of my sermon you'll be pleased to know. So so hearing about their faith for Paul has been a trigger to give thanks for them. But it's not the end of the story. So the path ahead now for them is to live out their daily life, in their daily life, the spiritual transformation and relocation that God has given them by his grace. And there's some things they're going to need uh, from the Lord in order to do that. They're not from other places. There's nothing special they've got to go looking for. Uh, no other voices they need to listen to. No special experiences they need to look for in order to have the full religious experience. These are things they need to turn to God for. And so we can see uh, uh, their, their being Christian is not just a trigger for thanksgiving but a trigger now for him to keep on praying for them. Now I wonder if you have uh, people in your life that you're praying might come to know the Lord Jesus. Now imagine uh, tonight they came to know the Lord Jesus. What would your response be? You say, terrific, fantastic, we can stop praying. They've come to know the Lord. Uh, let's give thanks for that and move on. Uh, but no, what Paul is uh, showing us here by example is this is now another reason to actually pray for them in a new way, to ask God to grant them what they need now to continue. And so, uh, so in the next slide we can see uh, some things that he prays for and there's two things in particular. The second one has a, little, a, few, a few qualifiers. So the first thing is in verse uh, 9, second part of verse 9. What does he pray for? He says, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. That's the first thing he prays for, that, that, uh, that God might fill you with the knowledge of his will through the Spirit who gives wisdom and understanding. So when we come to trust in Jesus, we're actually given his Spirit to live uh, and dwell with us. And he is God's presence to us. And one uh, name he's known by, uh, one kind of, uh, I guess, maybe it's an adjectival phrase, I don't really know, but, but uh, it's the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Because he takes God's word and he leads us in understanding it and seeing how it applies to our lives. And today, the way the Holy Spirit does that primarily is through the Bible. So we pick up the Bible and we read and we pray that God's spirit would help us understand that he would help us see the difference that this word makes to how we think and speak and live and that he would remind us to act on what we've learned. Now the reason that he prays this for them is in the first part of verse 10. 
So knowing, having more knowledge of God's will is not, is not uh, simply an end in itself, but he says, I pray this, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So the reason the Spirit gives us knowledge is so we'll know how the Lord wants us to live. Now, as Christians, don't we often wonder, what is God's will for my life? What does he want me to do? And we, uh, we wonder, you know, how can I know what his plans and purposes are for me? How do I live a life that's worthy of him uh, in the sense that it corresponds to who he is and who he's made me to be as one of his people? And it's something we're invited to pray and ask God for here, but what we find is that the answer is not so much about particular things like career choices or if and when to get married or when to retire or big life decisions like that. Though they are good things to pray for. In the passage we've read, there are actually four phrases that follow on that outline what it means to live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And these really are the big things that God wants of us. This is uh, his will for our lives. And so the first one is in the second uh, section of uh, verse 10 and it says, bearing fruit in every good work. So life that is pleasing to the Lord and worthy of him is life that abounds in works of loving service towards others. Good works. Now, the second thing is in uh, the last part of verse 10, growing in the knowledge of God. A life that is pleasing to the Lord and worthy of him uh, involves getting to know what God is like and learning about him and his character and his personal qualities and getting to know uh, what he is like and what pleases him. And then thirdly, he says, being strengthened, in verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. And so life that is pleasing to the Lord and worthy of him involves hanging in there and not giving up on doing good and hanging in there and not giving up on thinking about that hope that he has in store for us. And it's about asking God for the strength that he has in abundance and that we need so that we can keep following him each day. And then finally, a life that is pleasing to the Lord and worthy of him is a life in which there is a recognition that this life with God and all that we have comes from him as a gift to us, a gift of love unmerited uh, from him to us. And when we think about that, that sparks in us a, a contented thankfulness towards him. And so what's really clear in all this is that the way to continue in Christ is exactly the same way as we start out in Christ. To keep coming back to God and to ask that through his word and by his spirit we might know his will more and more so that we can live lives that are pleasing to him which is about doing the good things that he has for us to do, about getting to know him more and more, about being, asking for his strength so we can keep going and about growing over time in joyful thanks. And so the way to continue is to appreciate and grow in what we already have. And I think what this passage also tells us that prayer is so important to what we're doing at St Matt's. As a church, we want to be a community of lifelong disciples of Christ. And we can have all sorts of strategies and programs to help us do that. But the fundamental thing we need to do for each other is to pray for each other. Okay, that, is our, that is one of our main things. 
that we need to do in order to be a community of people who are growing, uh, who are following Jesus for all our lives. And if you're thinking, well, what do I pray? I already pray for uh, my small group, for others, whoever it might be. But here's a prayer list direct from the Apostle Paul. Here's a prayer list that we can uh, jot down, uh, take home and make a regular part of our, uh, our prayers in our small groups, in our own personal prayers and our prayers with friends. Prayer, uh, so that we might be lifelong disciples of Jesus, is essential to who we are and, uh, and what we do. Now I thought tonight it would be good to finish as we started. Uh, for some strange reason, my mind has been in uh, limerick mode this week, even with no words to go with it. I've been walking around going, you know, da 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 and, uh, and so I lay in bed one night wondering, you know, I wonder if it would be possible to sum up these 14 verses in a limerick. As so I lay there and I thought, oh, I think it is. Okay? Now, this is what I came up with, but here's my challenge to you. My challenge to you is, uh, is when you get together with your small group this week, take your own poem that sums up these verses. It doesn't have to rhyme. It doesn't have to have the right number of syllables. Just something that sums up this passage that you can take, uh, take with you. But here's, uh, here's what I came up with. A Christian's a person of trust who's learned of a hope that's robust. So they pray for God's will, aim to please him while still sure in Jesus their final's been passed. There you go. There's my limerick. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we do uh, give you wonderful uh, heartfelt Thanks for just the wonderful encouragement of this, uh, this letter that just reminds us of uh, all that you've done for us in the Lord Jesus. So much, Heavenly Father, and more that we will see as the, the weeks roll on. And what we pray, Lord, as this, uh, this series goes on, what we pray tonight is that you would help us to continue in the Lord Jesus. Please keep us from drifting away. Uh, please keep us from looking elsewhere for understanding for fullness, for spiritual experiences. But Lord, enable us by your spirit to walk closely in alignment with your word, to understand who you've made us to be in all its uh, breadth and depth and, and richness and lead us on that we might continue to live out uh, all that you have made us to be in Christ. And we ask that you would hold us uh, close to you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus, to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmatts.org.au. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon. Thank you.